Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey, uh, this COVID season has really given us opportunity, as I mentioned last week, just to stop, have a Selah moment, a pregnant pause, and think about what matters most. And I trust that we have not wasted our pandemic. I trust that we have not wasted our lockdown. For me, it's been an incredible opportunity to go deeper with my wife, my family, my own thoughts, but also as a pastor to think about Why do we exist as a church? Now, I've never lost the notion of why we exist as a church, but it's given me an opportunity to go deeper and look at what it is that we do and what it is that we don't do and why we do what we do and why don't we do what we don't do. And I just thought off the back of that, it'd be great for us just to do a series that I've simply entitled Church Rediscovered. Church rediscovered. And last week we spoke about what church is not. We set the foundation by categorically stating what church is not. And we said it's not a building. We we are in a building, but church in and of itself is not a building. It's not an institution. Yes, we have a history. Yes, we have a past, but we are not dictated to and we are not governed by our past. You always know when something or someone's become institutionalised when they use language like this. We, we can't do that because we've never done it before. And we don't want to be an institution. Uh, not only that, church is not a place that you go to. Church is not an event that you attend. Church is not something that you watch online. It has elements of all of that, but in and of itself, it is none of those things. And we landed with this thought that church essentially is a spiritual family that I belong to. Yeah. It's a spiritual family that you belong to. And there is two expressions of the church. Whenever the church is mentioned, there is the um, universal church, which consists of every believer, past, present and future, the universal church. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church, He was talking about the universal church, the church that has no end, this church. But then there's another expression that's used in the Scriptures and that is of the local church. It's the incarnation of the universal church. It's the outworking of God. God's plan. It's the outworking of the universal church. There is 14 references of the universal church in Scripture, but there's over 90 references of the local church in Scripture. And it's Paul, when he writes, he writes to the local churches. He doesn't write to the universal global church. He writes to specific churches with specific people, with specific problems. And he's able to address those issues because he was addressing a local church. So all of Paul's letters are written to a local church. You see, God always wants to flesh out his plan. So when he has a big overarching plan, he wants it fleshed out. We see that the Word of God became flesh. In other words, and when Jesus came to planet Earth, it was the Word of God incarnate. It was the Word of God fleshed out. And Jesus came to show the world what God the Father looked like. And we as the church have an opportunity to show the world what Jesus looks like. Is this helpful this morning? So that's good. Yeah, very good. Online, make your comments. That'd be great. And uh, so what we see in the very first church, as I mentioned last week, is that the very first church, the early church, were a committed bunch of people. Remember that? A committed bunch of people. And they were committed to a few things. And I want you to repeat them after me. Worship. Worship. They were committed to worship. They were committed to leadership. Leadership. They were committed to fellowship. Fellowship. They were committed to discipleship. Discipleship. They were committed to stewardship. stewardship. 
And as I said last week, very thoughtfully and very carefully, that there was a lot of ship that took place in the early church. In other words, in the early church, ship happened. And I believe with all of my heart for the church to be all that God has intended her to be, we, Victory Church, have to get our ship together. There, I said it. And I haven't said that to be crass or rude. I've said it to be memorable because I believe that we need to be a people that get back to some of these ships in order for us to be more effective as a church. And this COVID lockdown season has given me opportunity just to think about these things. And so this series is really an opportunity for us to delve into some of these ships. And last week we spoke about worship. I entitled our message, It's All About Jesus. The early church were enamoured and in love with Jesus. And everything they did came out of this foundational love of Jesus. It's a love story. And everything that we have, the building, the lights, the worship, the music, everything that we have been blessed with, the good coffee, actually, first and foremost, foundationally, is out of a love for Jesus. Everything that we do, I want to be known as a church that's madly and passionately in love with Jesus. And that's what we spoke about last week. And today I want to address another ship and it's simply this, fellowship. Say with me, fellowship. Fellowship. And so the subtitle of my message today is Better Together. Yes, that's the theme of our year, Better Together. But I want to uh, subtitle this particular message, Better Together. And if you have your Bibles, turn with with me, sorry, to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read Acts chapter 2 again, reading from verse 42 through to verse 46. It says this, they devoted themselves. Now get this, they devoted themselves. In other words, the early church took responsibility on themselves to do what only they could do. In other words, they didn't expect the pastors or or the leaders or anyone else to do what God had mandated them to do. So they devoted themselves to a few things. The apostles' teaching and to fellowship. There it is, fellowship. Say fellowship. fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and their possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And that word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And I don't ask you to remember much Greek, but this is a great Greek word to remember, koinonia. Some say koinonia, but koinonia. And uh, it actually is used 19 times. And 12 of the 19 times, it is translated fellowship. Three times it's translated sharing. Two times it's translated participation, and two other times it's translated contribution. In other words, there's nothing passive about koinonia. In other words, koinonia is far more than just attending. It's far more than just going to church. In nature, it's a gathered, caring, sharing, contributing community of people. That's what koinonia is. And what you'll notice is that in these four verses, the word together is used, not once, not twice, but three times. And we see that they, they ate together, they worshipped together, they rejoiced together, they drank together, they laughed together, they prayed together, and they missioned together. They did life together. They had a notion and an understanding that they were better, not isolated, but they, they were better together. Everyone say together. 
we see not only that they met together, but they continued to meet together. In other words, it wasn't a one-off thing. It wasn't a, I've been there, done that thing. It wasn't an occasional thing. It wasn't a Christmas and Easter thing. How many people do you know that go to church on Christmas or Easter or if there's revival, both? You know, like, they, but that's not, that's not what the early church were committed to. They weren't committed to church attendance on Christmas or Easter. It was a lifestyle thing. It's something that they made a commitment to. And not only that, they met together in the synagogues and in their homes. In other words, there was this large expression and there was this small expression. And what I love about it is it's a both and approach, not an either or. You might like the bigger crowds and not like the smaller crowds. You might like the smaller crowds and not like the bigger crowds. But the early church saw the benefit in actually being involved in both the larger gatherings and the smaller gatherings. And I would encourage every one of you who calls Victory Church home, who's here today, to actually, if you're not already, to get involved in a small group. Why? Because there's things that can only take place in the big gathering. And there's things that can only take place in the small gathering. And we are better when we embrace both expressions, the large and the small, because that's what we see the early church doing. Is this making sense today? And so today what I want to do is look at some important facts and benefits of fellowship. Facts that you either didn't know, facts that you've either forgotten, or maybe today it's just a really healthy reminder of the fact that we are indeed Better together. Turn to the person next to you and say, better together. So three facts, and if we have time, four benefits. Three facts. Number one is this. Fellowship is a God idea. It's a God idea. It's not just a good idea, it's a God idea. Do you know you can have a good idea, but it not be a God idea? But everything that's of God is good. So it's a God idea, which makes it a good idea. And from the very beginning of time, we see God's heart is for family and it's for community. He creates all that we see today on day one, two, right through to day six. And at the end, He creates mankind, the pinnacle of all His creation. He creates Adam and He says it is good. But then He looks and says, you know what? Adam needs a partner. He says, it's not good that man be alone. Luke, we need a good woman in our life. We know, we know that. We, we, need, we need someone in our life. God knew from the very beginning of time that we need people in our world. And so He puts Adam to sleep and creates a masterpiece. He says that Adam was good, but He says Eve was very good. And all the ladies said... Amen. In actual fact, God does some of His best work while we are sleeping. Do you know that? And so here's Adam. He's out cold and God is doing an absolute incredible work. And he wakes up and sees this woman and a family is formed because that's God's heart. God's always been for family. He's always been for community. In Psalm 68 verse 6, it says, God places the lonely in families. And He sets the prisoners free to give them joy. See, God wants you to experience joy that comes in the context of community and family. God loves community because community is something that we all crave. Do you know pubs flourish for a reason? And pubs flourish not because most people are alcoholics. That's not why most people go to the pub or to the clubs. Rather, it's because in every heart is a deep, deep, deep desire to know and to be known. There's a deep desire to love and to be loved. And that's why these places are more about community hubs 
than they are about alcoholic drinking holes. Because people crave a sense of community. Why? Because God has placed that in us. It's in our DNA. We are communal by nature. In every heart is a desire to fellowship. In every heart is a desire to mingle and to be with others. We are communal by nature. And when we don't fellowship, we rob ourselves of a basic human need and we also distort the image of God. You know, the Godhead is made up of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one God, but they have three uniquely different roles and they work together. And when we are disunified and when we are squabbling and arguing, we, we water down the image of the Godhead. God wants us to be together and the enemy wants to separate us. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy the plans and the purposes that God has for us. Does that make sense today? So secondly, fellowship is a work of the Holy Spirit. Firstly, it's a God idea. Secondly, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. See, you may ask yourself this today. If fellowship is so right and it's of God and it's so good, why are there so many problems? Because I'll be honest with you, you go to any church and there is problems. And so it may sound like a good idea, but hang on, in, in essence, it's not working. And as a result, there is far too many people that get disillusioned, they become cynical, and the result is they either leave church or they might leave a marriage or they might leave a business or whatever. And we see the carnage of fellowship gone wrong. And uh, I, I think we need to understand something about God's heart when it comes to fellowship. The word koinonia, as I've already mentioned, has this uh, implication of the cementing together through the Holy Spirit. That's what true biblical fellowship is. For fellowship to work long-term. Can I say long-term? For fellowship to work long-term. Not not a one-night stand. Not a one-week stand. Not a one-month stand. Not a one-year stand. But for it to work long-term, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. It's God's idea. So in order for us to embrace God's idea, we need to embrace God's ways. And God never intended for us to have fellowship without Him involved. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. And you see, the thing about fruit is this. This is what I know about fruit. Fruit, and you might want to write this down. Fruit is grown, not manufactured. Fruit is grown, not manufactured. You see, for us to enjoy great fruit like this apple, and I will eat this apple after this service, but for us to enjoy great fruit, you need to know it has to have the touch of God on it. Man cannot produce fruit alone. We can water it, we can fertilise, we can talk to it, we can prune it, but we can't produce an apple without the touch of God. For this apple to be in my hand, the hand of God has been at work. And that is true for every piece of fruit that you love, whether it's a pineapple, whether it's a banana, whether it's blueberries or strawberries or grapes. Oh my, I'm salivating now thinking about all the incredible fruit, particularly the summer fruit. I mean, I just love summer fruit. Is there anyone out there who loves summer fruit? Well, I want you to know all those fruits that you love that are out there would not exist if it was not for the touch of God. For all of man's best effort, it still needs the touch of God on it in order to create that which we get to enjoy. And in order for us to enjoy that which God has created in fellowship, it needs the touch of God on it. Because we're not patient enough. 
We don't love enough. We're not kind or caring enough. We are to a point. We can be kind for one night. We may even be kind for a, a month, a week or a year, but to do it long term, take something that we cannot manufacture in our own time. It's something that is produced over time. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, we find ourselves growing in love and growing in grace and growing in patience. It's an amazing thing to me that me by nature, am not a, a, I am not a patient person. I've said this many times before. I'm not a patient person. And yet I have a track record of patience. Being able to stay in the same church for a long period of time, leading people, and, and there's been lots of highs, but there's been lots of lows. There's been lots of disappointments. There's been plenty of opportunities for Kath and I to get cynical by hanging around in the same place for a long period of time. And by nature, that's where it would have landed for me. Because I'm not patient enough. I know that. But because I know I'm not patient enough, guess what? I go to God and I say, Holy Spirit, yeah, I need a touch from so you. Yeah. I need a touch from you. And, yeah. and I'm trusting today that God through the Holy Spirit will touch our lives and any cynicism and any hurt or any pain that's in our life would be removed and eradicated as we surrender afresh to the Holy Spirit in this place. Because this I know to be true. No one sets out to be cynical. No one sets out to be cynical. Are you with me? And so God wants to come and bring a fresh touch of love and peace and patience. Who wants more of that this morning? Amen. Fantastic. Number three, fellowship is a sign of maturity. Who's going to grab this apple? There you go, Dan. Fantastic. Number three, fellowship is a sign of maturity. You know, another thing I've heard a lot in church is this. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And you know what? The truth be told, when it comes to our salvation, that is absolutely true. And I would actually add that not only do you not have to go to church, but you don't have to give. And not only do you not have to go to church and not have to give, you don't have to read your Bible. If we're talking about your salvation, you don't have to do any of that. And that's what makes the grace of God so flippant amazing. That hymn, Amazing Grace, is is, uh, an amazing song about amazing grace. And what makes amazing grace so amazing is that it's undeserved, it's unmerited. We do nothing to earn the favour of God. Absolutely, we don't have to go to church. Absolutely, we don't have to give. And if we start saying that you do, we're distorting the grace of God. We're distorting the Gospel. So you're absolutely right. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if we're talking about fellowship... And we're talking about discipleship. That has a lot less to do with right and wrong and far more to do with maturity and immaturity. See, those who say, I don't have to go to church, while that may be right, my question to them would simply be this. On a scale of one to 10, how mature does that make you? So if you want to play the card, I don't have to go to church. While that might be true, if, we, if our goal is to grow and become more and more like Jesus, and that's the discipleship process, which I'll be talking more about next week. If that's the goal, then how mature is it to say, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to attend church. I'm not going to read my Bible. If we make it about right and wrong, you might get off on a technicality. But if we make it about maturity and immaturity, it's going to help us assess where we're really at. And I do not believe you can say, I don't go to church, I don't read my Bible, and I don't give and place yourself in the mature Christian category. 
it places you right at the zero, a very immature category. Is this helpful this morning? So fellowship is a sign of maturity. What are some of the benefits today of fellowship? I'm going to go through four very quickly. You ready? Number one is this. Fellowship helps me to focus on God. I don't care who you are. We all have distractions in our life. And it's so easy to get distracted. How many know what I'm on about? It's so easy to get distracted. I mean, I was just looking at some of those babies out there. Babies. Another. I think the Greek word for baby, I think it implies a time waster. Babies are so cute. You just stare at them all the time. and You just waste so much time. They, they become a massive distraction. They're so cute and so beautiful, particularly when they're asleep and just staring at them. And it's a beautiful thing, but we can get so distracted with good things and bad things, healthy things and unhealthy things. We can get distracted. And because of that, our church family helps us to stay focused. Can you worship God all by yourself? Absolutely. In actual fact, I would say you better. You can't just rely on the Sunday experience. You should be worshipping at home by yourself. Absolutely. But there's something powerful when we come together and get the help that we need. I think of a personal trainer. You know, you can train in the gym by yourself, but when you've got a personal trainer or when you've got a gym partner, it, it, it helps you to stay focused. In actual fact, Long before we planted this church, I made a decision to pray with my brother. And for two years prior to planting this church, I would have run around his house and pray together. From 5.30 to 6.30, we would just pray. It wasn't asked of us. It wasn't mandated by the church. It was just something I felt to do. My brother felt to do it. And we just did it. Day after day, week after week, we did it for two years. And it was after that two-year period, we planted the church. We never prayed to plant a church. I never desired to plant a church. I never prayed to go into ministry. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be doing what I'm doing today. That wasn't the goal. The goal was just, uh, I wanted to know more of God. And uh, having an accountability partner in my brother helped me get out of bed. Because I've got to be honest with you, that two-year period that we prayed for like that probably wouldn't have lasted two weeks if it was just up to me. Because there were some mornings I woke up and I don't want to pray. You know, I don't even want to get out of bed. The only reason I got out of bed, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't the Spirit of God. It was just knowing that my brother was getting up. And so I'd get out of bed because I, I knew my brother would be getting up. And if I don't get around there, he's going to be ringing me and he's going to be giving me what for. What I was unaware of is he was feeling exactly the same as me. And he didn't want to pray and he didn't want to get out of bed, but he got up and he got out of bed because he knew I'd be run, running around and knocking on the door soon. And so we held each other and we helped each other. And that's what the fellowship and the family of God does. It helps us focus. It helps us focus. And that's an incredible benefit. Secondly, fellowship not only helps us to focus, but it helps us face life's problems. It helps us face all of life's problems. And I don't care who you are. We all face tough times from time to time. And fellowship aids in the healing process. Just like we saw with Beck and Jared Sanders. We saw them receiving food from people and they ate good. I mean, you know, you saw Beck's face. She said, man, we ate really good. We ate really good. And I thank God that I'm part of a church family that enables me to receive the help I need. I think some of the tough seasons in my life and I think about the church rallying around me and my family, particularly when I was really sick back in 2016. I will be forever grateful for the family of God for moments like that when I couldn't even look after myself. 
when I had our young, uh, newly appointed youth pastor watching over me because I was too afraid to be in the hospital bed by myself in the nights because of the drugs and the hallucinations that I was having. I said, can someone stay with me? That may sound weak to you. I'm just so grateful that I was weak enough to acknowledge what I needed. And Dan McGaw came and uh, it, was, it was probably the lowest night of my life. I felt my body was shutting down. I felt like I was dying. And Dan was there. He was there to cheer me up, but he was just, he was just watching over me, making sure I was breathing and uh, encouraging me. I mean, he'd never slept that night. And again, it's a night I'll never forget. I'll be so, I'm so indebted and so grateful to God for the family of God. Man, I think that trying to do that alone, my goodness me. I thank God for the family of God. Number three, fellowship helps me fortify my faith. The word fortify simply means to strengthen or to reinforce. And let's be honest, being a Christian in a non-Christian world can take its toll on us. When you're at your university and everyone's going to the parties and everyone's getting drunk and everyone's doing this and everyone's doing that and, and you're trying to hold your line, it can get taxing. And if we're not careful, it can cause us to quit, become cynical and get complacent. And I thank God for our church family that helps me yeah. and helps you to stay strong yeah. in our faith. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says it this way, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens Another. I'm grateful for the rubbing up of the right way between believers. You've heard the saying, rubbing up the wrong way? Well, I actually think what happens in true biblical fellowship is that we rub each other up the right way. We get sharper because of the different people in our world. And as a result, our, street, our faith sorry, remains strong. And the last one is simply this. Number four, fellowship helps me to find a place to make a difference. You know, this is what I know about every one of you. Every one of you has a desire to inspire. Every one of you wants to make a difference. And if you don't, it's because that desire has been robbed and stolen from you. And that, my friends, is a work of the enemy. But there's not a younger version of you that said, I can't wait to grow up and be cynical. There's not one of you who said that. There's not one of you as a kid who said, I can't wait to get old and miserable. None of you said that. None of you. I know that to be true. It may be where you are right now, but it's not what you wanted. Every one of us, by God's design, has a desire to inspire, has a desire to make a difference. That's why we wanted to be a policeman or that's why we wanted to be a fireman because we saw ourselves running into a building on fire and saving people and helping people because that's what God has placed in us. And the reason some of us may not feel like that today is because of life. And life's got the better of us. And what I love about the, the family of God, the gathering together, is that God can visit us. Yeah, and God can take things off of us. And God can pour His Spirit into us afresh. And I'm believing that He's gonna do that today for everyone gathered here and everyone online, that God's gonna meet you right where you are. And so that some of that desire and dream would resonate within each and every one of you again. I'm so grateful that an 18-year-old version of myself made a commitment to myself that when I was 50, I wanted the body of a young man, I wanted the wisdom of an older man, and I wanted the spirit of a godly man. I did not want to get bitter. I wanted to get better. I want every circumstance in my life to make me a better person. I don't want to lament. I don't want to uh, just uh, sit in the past. I want to use it to make me a better person. And I'm so grateful for the touch of God on my life that's helped and held me. And I'm so grateful for the people in my world that have helped and held me. That's why I love the family of God because it helps us. 
It fortifies our strength and it helps us to find a place to make a difference. You see, every one of us in this room today and everyone online, at the end of our life, we'll be asked two questions. God's gonna ask every one of us two questions. The first question is simply this, what did you do with my son? And how we answer that has a bearing on where we spend eternity. For all of those uh, men, women and children that said, I received Jesus into my heart as my personal Lord and Saviour, we will spend all eternity with Him. And for all of those who rejected Him, they will go to another place. And contrary to popular belief, God does not send anyone to hell. He just gives people their wish. He just gives people their desire. If you want a life and you want an eternity away from me, here it is. Even at the last moment, He's still giving people their desires. And so the first question is, what did you do with my son? And that determines where we spend eternity. The second question is this, what did you do with what I gave you? And that determines how we spend eternity. Because in heaven, rewards are given out. And those rewards are based upon what it is that we did here on planet Earth. And it's not based upon what other people did. The curse of comparison that we live in on planet Earth doesn't exist in heaven. So God's not comparing me or my race with someone else's walk or race. He wants to know what you were given and what did you do with what I gave you? That's His heart. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, there's this beautiful verse. It says, Each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Isn't that beautiful? And the local church helps us to discover God. There's a community to grow where we can be discipled. And through that, we are formed into and find out what it is that we're actually called to do. For me, it landed serving in the church as a senior pastor. For many of you, it's going to look different. But we want to play our part as a local church to help people find God, be connected to God, to His church, and ultimately their purpose. Is this helpful this morning? Will you stand with me? I'd love to pray with you. This I know, church, we are better together. And I know there are some dreams and desires that some of you have lost, they've been stolen. And I, I, I dare you, in Jesus' name, to dream again. In this environment of faith, in this environment of healing, in this environment of freedom, let's dare to dream again. Because God does not want you to see out the rest of your life cynical, hurt, bitter, isolated, twisted. He wants you to live as free men and women. He wants you to fulfil the plans and the purposes that He has for you. And God has an incredible way of redeeming time that we perceived as lost. He has an incredible way of redeeming that time. And so I wanna pray for you. And then we're gonna worship just a little bit longer before we close out this service. For those online, why don't you just lean in and receive this prayer today. Come on, church. Father, I just thank You. You are a good God and You give us good gifts and You give us good things. And one of those good things is fellowship. It's the gathering together. It's the koinonia that takes place under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We invite Your Holy Spirit in this place to soften hearts, that we might dare to dream again. Where we've become cynical and disappointed and our hearts have become hard, we ask You right now to come and present Yourself in this place right here, right now and soften every heart. 
Oh, I pray that You, by the power of God, would come and that we might grow again in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility and self-control. We realise for that fruit to be outworked in our lives, we need a touch from heaven today. And so we throw up our hands. Come on, church, wherever you are right now, let's throw up our hands. Let's surrender afresh and let's cry out to God and believe for a touch of heaven today. Come, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control, ours in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 